situation is appalling, but yes. anyway, nothing much you can do about it. You just got to live through it. So you wanted to talk about COVID nineteen stimulus package. Yeah, right. Yeah, but that's not the official name, is it? Is it the official name is COVID nineteen? Well, that's the official name of the disease. That, yes, that's yes. not part of the. Well, but I, the I've stimulus re- package is not called COVID nineteen. Well, I've, is I, it? I've seen it referred to as COVID nineteen oh, stimulus package, but no, okay. that's not its official name. But yes, that's a name that's yes, been given. Yes, the official it. name is probably three kilometers longer. Probably, <laughs> yes. You are listening to Australia's tax news podcast. Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 235 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. This is not a regular episode. In fact, we will have two episodes labeled 235 because like, I don't want to change all the numbering of the next episodes. But... We need to talk about the federal COVID-19 stimulus package. Things are changing fast and so you need to know what is coming. As you know, on the 12th of March, the federal government announced the first federal COVID-19 stimulus package. The devil is in the detail, of course, and that detail won't be known until early next week. But it is important that you really know what might be coming. So this episode is to tell you more about the measures the government listed on the 12th of March. Bob Deutsch, Senior Tax Counsel of the Tax Institute, will walk you through the measures that have been announced so far. These measures are not law yet, so this is just about what the government proposed. This interview was recorded yesterday, the 18th of March. I say this because the topic is, of course, highly current and will be outdated soon. So here's Bob Deutsch about the first federal COVID-19 stimulus package as it was announced on the 12th of March, 2020. So the way I see it, and this is always qualified by the fact that this is a moving beast. It's kind of happening not by the day, but almost by the hour. So everything that I say is subject to qualification that it may be different by the time it comes out. But the stimulus package that has most recently been announced, the $17.5 billion federal government package, has a number of elements to it. And I might just run through those key elements. The first one that is directly relevant, obviously, to tax is that there is currently an instant asset write-off of $30,000, which basically means that if you qualify, and I'll come to that in a moment, You can buy a piece of machinery for up to $30,000. Interestingly, the legislation says less than $30,000, so it's actually got to be a cent under. Then if you qualify, you can write off the whole lot in that year. So if you buy the asset on the 29th of June for use in the future, it doesn't matter that it's been used in the future, you get the deduction in the current year for the full amount. Now, that is limited up until now to $30,000 or up until this package started to $30,000, that is going to be increased fivefold to $150,000. One of the qualifications for getting the old $30,000 package was that you had annual turnover of less than $50 million. That will be increased to $500 million. So it's a very substantial increase both in the amount of relief that is being given but also the qualifying requirements for the for the relief. 
That will run from the date of the announcement, which was some twelfth of March, until the thirtieth of June. That's going to cost the federal government, they estimate, somewhere in the order of seven hundred million dollars. So not about three quarter, call it three quarters of a billion dollars. That's the first big one. The detail of that will not be available until Monday of next week. Now the detail is critical. Which Monday we are saying, I think it's the 23rd, isn't it? The I 23rd of March? I think that sounds right. That'll be the 23rd of March, exactly. And that will be available on that day, I'm told. Again, that is subject to change. It may be available this week, but I doubt it. It could be delayed slightly. There are all sorts of issues that arise in the context of that legislation. One, just to give you an example, they work out whether you qualify on the basis of your turnover. How do we know what your turnover is? Well, if they look at last year's tax return, the year to 30 June 2019, a lot of businesses have not yet filed that. So presumably, and we need to know who's entitled right now, presumably that means you would look to the year before that, so the year 30 June 2018. Is that what the legislation is going to say, or is it going to say you have to wait until you lodge your return to figure out whether you qualify, which would be very clumsy because this runs out on the 30th of June you want this relief to be available almost immediately. People won't know in that case. What happens if you're over the limit in 20... turns out you're over the limit in 2019, but not in 2018 or the other way around? So there's lots of issues about how they're going to mould that legislation. As I say, we won't know that until Monday. That's the first relief. Two ask, questions. Mm-hmm. The uh, group of businesses this is targeted at... Yes. They would be well below 500 million turnover a year, wouldn't they? Perhaps that was the target, but the target has now been expanded substantially because yes. we're talking about bigger businesses now. So you're right, the, the 30,000, which the, was the limited... The bulk of small business would be well below 500 million. Yes, the bulk would have been covered by the original $50 million figure, one would assume, because $50 million turnover is, in oh, my mind... Not, not all small businesses, there's some reasonably bigger ones there as well. It's not big business, but it's certainly a little bit higher than what I would describe as small business. This $500 million figure will open it up to a much broader range of companies. I think that's deliberate. The crisis we're in is having an impact on a lot of people, a lot of companies, not just small ones. So I think it's quite a deliberate policy. It's interesting to speculate as to how much this is really going to help because I think that businesses that are in trouble are not going to spend $150,000 buying a new piece of equipment simply because they're going to get a tax write-off. They still have to cough up the money, and if the money's not coming in the door, they're going to struggle to do that. So this is a bit questionable, but it has certainly some impact but I think it's going to be longer term rather than shorter term. And it's going to be companies that think they're going to survive anyway who are likely to be taking advantage of this package, and it will certainly help them. Yes, and maybe it's not even the companies who take advantage of this package. It's the suppliers to these companies. So if now suddenly because of these instant write-offs, if orders are placed, 
that yes. will bring confidence into the economy that's true among that, suppliers that's true and that will help on that side of the ledger as well absolutely I'm not criticizing the policy I'm saying it's, it's helpful but it's not it's not like putting cash in the hands of someone but it's certainly very helpful yes. and as you say it will help on the supplier side if they can supply more equipment it might enable them to survive so if people look at this and say well this is an opportunity to get an immediate write-off I'm going to grab it it'll help on the other side and if you say it costs the government something around 750 million dollars well, the, the official figure is 700 million so I'm yes. rounding that yeah up yeah. Bit, yeah let's say 700 yeah. it's only a temporary cost because whatever is depreciated now won't be depreciated next year or the well, year after. So it's only a temporary that's, cost. That's true. I would express that slightly differently. The way I view it is that you're not actually depreciating it at all. You're just getting an immediate write-off. So they're not going to have that depreciation. But you're absolutely right, overlooking the language for the moment, you're absolutely right in the sense that you get a write-off now, you won't have a write-off for the next five years or however long you would normally have depreciated that asset for. So it is a timing benefit in that sense and it won't be a permanent cost to the government. So it basically just relieves your cash flow that you would have to pay less tax yes. right now, meaning you can keep more cash in the coffer to pay Correct. wages. Correct. And that's part of the idea. That's the first part of the plan. The second part about which we have precious little information at the moment is a 15-month investment incentive, it's called, which will run until the 30th of June 2021. And that's for businesses with a turnover of less than $500 million. And what it will do is will, it will allow them to deduct an additional 50% of the asset cost in the year of purchase. Now, that is projected to cost somewhere in the order of $3.2 billion dollars. So that is a very expensive part of the jigsaw puzzle. I might just run through the others, and then we can come back and talk about each of them. There will be a tax-free payment to employers up to a maximum per employer, it's important to understand that, of $25,000. be a minimum payment of $2,000 up to a maximum of $25,000. Where they have a turnover of less than $50 million, and it'll apply from 1 January 2020 to 30 June 2020, so it's actually going back a number of months, and the payment will be equal to 50% of the PAYG amount that is declared on the BAS, the Business Activity Statement, or the, the uh, IAS, from 28 April, with refunds to be paid within 14 days. Best if I explain that by example, because it's a little bit confusing. An employer who qualifies, in other words, we won't worry too much at the moment about the 50 million, we just assume they do, we don't know what it's based on, but we assume they're going to qualify. If they have a pay packet for April, which forces them to deduct an amount from an employee's wages and let's say the salary gross is two thousand dollars and they pay the employee fifteen hundred they keep five hundred that has to be declared at what's called item number w2 on the bads the tax office will look at that and say that five hundred dollars entitles them to an immediate refund of two hundred and fifty dollars 
and the tax office will presumably provide that refund within 14 days of the BAS being lodged. Now, that will apply to every pay packet that followed 1 January 2020 up until 30 June 2020. Now, there are all sorts of questions around that as well, but I might just finish the package and come back to it in a moment. That is going to cost somewhere in the region of $6.7 billion. The fourth element of the package is a wage subsidy for eligible employers equal to 50% of their apprentices or tra trainees' wages from 1 January 2020 to 30 September 2020. A lot of different dates in this package, but that's to assist employees to hold on to their apprentices. But basically, the government is saying we'll assist you so that you only have to pay them half what you're paying them now, effectively. And that again will have a significant impact in allowing employers to hold on to their apprentices and trainees. And the final leg is a one off $750 payment to pensioners, social security veterans and other income support recipients and eligible concession card holders. So that's a straight payment into their pockets, $750. It'll cost the government $4.8 billion, that particular initiative. If you add up all those figures, I'm not sure what it comes to, but it should come to 6, 10, 11, 13, 14. I can see about 15 there, but there's obviously a bit more because it's about seven it's just over 17 billion dollars a package now there's all sorts of things that you could say about all that i've already talked a little bit about step number 1 and the detail of the legislation that will be critical there there will also be some critical issues to resolve around step number 3 which is as i've described it which is the 6.7 billion tax free payments to employers I have a range of issues with this, which may or may not be addressed in the detail of the legislation next Monday. A lot of people have taken steps in the last 10 years to turn employees into contractors for various reasons, including saving money on superannuation. Some have been quite legitimate that the practices or the way in which the business operates has changed. Others have just done it basically to save a bit of money on their employee costs. Again, there's nothing necessarily untoward about that, but I wouldn't generalise there. There's some that are quite untoward, but as a broad principle, there's nothing wrong with that. The question now becomes, having done that, do the people who have turned their employees into contractors qualify for this payment? And I think the answer is no because they will not be filling out their BASs based on entering an amount in w2. item number W2 because they're not employees, which will kind of destroy a lot of their thinking or at least destroy a lot of their planning. I have heard anecdotally that there are efforts being made by some people to revise documents that have already gone out since 1 January to try and turn some contractors back into employees. Now, backdating documents in that way is fraud and is illegal. And I was about to say theoretically you can go to jail. It's more than theoretical. 
you can actually go to jail for doing that sort of thing. So I would counsel anybody who was thinking about that to think a bit harder and not do it. But having said that, it does raise all sorts of issues about how far does the government want to extend this package? Is it intended perhaps to include contractors who are otherwise really employees? And I think the answer is probably no, but we'll see what happens in the legislation. Raises also the question whether the legislation itself will have any integrity measures to deal with issues about people trying to recast arrangements so that they qualify for one or more of these concessions. Whenever money is given away, people start to do funny things to try and qualify. And I guess it comes back to what's the government intending, because it could well be that the government is intending that those sort of people who are contractors should get this benefit, the employers should get this benefit. And in a way, from a policy perspective, one might say, well, that should be part of the intention. We want to keep them employed, using that word in its broadest sense now, not simply because somebody is an employee in the eyes of the law, but because they are doing a job, which they are all right doing under the cloak of a contractor arrangement, but perhaps we want this to extend to that sort of person. Mm. So it raises all sorts of questions about what is the policy. The trouble is that this is so urgent and happening so quickly that I doubt a lot of these issues are going to be explored in any detail mm. because there's just no time. And that's not a criticism of government. It's just a fact of life that this COVID-19 disease has overtaken everything. Things have to happen quickly, that this stimulus package has to be put in place in a hurry. Parliamentary scrutiny, I suspect, will be fairly minimal. There'll be a few questions asked, but it does seem that the package does have bilateral support so this package will be passed, and my suspicion is that a lot of tax accountants and lawyers will be trying to work out who's in and who's out going forward without too much clarity from the legislature. Can I share three thoughts with you? Yes. I can see where the government is coming from in terms of wanting to support the employers who are doing the right thing by the employees. Because while you said, yes, there are a lot of genuine contractors, I do think there is quite a wide middle field yes. where people are really employees, but they are treated as contractors. And I can see the government's intention to say, we want to reward the employers who are doing the right thing. But it hurts the contractors. Absolutely. And I think we almost have a two-class system now with between employees and contractors, employees going through this crisis, employees won't lose their wage and they will have sick leave, whereas contractors lose everything. Absolutely. They lose their livelihood. And so we are going into this crisis really in two groups. One group is really going to bear the brunt of it yes. and the other one isn't. And this initiative... I'd make incidentally the same contrast yes. between permanent and casual employees. Permanent employees have some protections here Employers can ask them to do certain things, but they can't demand it of them. Whereas with casual employees, well, they can turn the clock off without too much trouble. Yes, that's actually a good point. When I say employees, I actually need to distinguish between... Permanent and casual. Permanent and casual. That's mm. a very good point. I think we're going into this crisis perhaps with four groups. We've got people who are classified as employees and people who are classified as other. And then within each of those, you've got permanent and casual. Now... It matters. It matters a lot because, as I said a moment ago, permanent staff, let's use that term, whether they be 
employers or possibly contractors, but it's a little bit harder to see contractors who are permanent, but it's possible. Both of them would have certain rights and entitlements. So employers can try to negotiate, can try to discuss possibilities of taking unpaid leave, but at the end of the day, I don't think they can direct people as to what they should be doing in that context. Whereas the casuals in both groups, both the contractor group and the employee group, are totally vulnerable. They have no real rights or entitlements beyond some very rudimentary matters, which is beyond my remit. It's a matter of industrial law, but I think unions will be justifiably concerned for those sort of individuals. And I think they're going to have some problems. Third thought, and that is people who run their own company and basically pay themselves a wage, they can really boost this bonus up now by paying themselves a much higher wage now until the 30th of June. The maximum you can claim is $25,000. So it doesn't matter what wage you pay, the maximum is $25,000. So you can certainly push it up to that limit. Now, that's what I'm referring to in a way by integrity measures, because if somebody, for example, based on their, their arrangements up until this crisis hit, was paying a total salary of, I don't know, $20,000 a year, are they suddenly going to jack it up to $40,000 because they realize they're under the $25,000 assistance package, they can boost it up there? Is that going to be something that the government is going to try to stop as part of the package? Now, that's what we're going to find out on Monday. That's what I'm referring to by integrity measures. Are they really going to put something in there that's going to stop that kind of behavior? There's an example that I can give you that's even more egregious than what you've just described. Lots of companies have historically paid their their owners, in effect, who work for the company, dividends rather than a salary. Now, if they paid them dividends up until the crisis and all of a sudden they turn it into salary because of this, what's happened here and try to backdate documents back to the 1st of January because, remember, this one starts from the beginning of this calendar year, is the government going to try and stop that? I suspect they'll certainly try and stop it going backwards, but what about if they just declare that from today, instead of receiving a dividend, I'm going to take a salary? Not sure the government's really going to stop that, but that is certainly new behaviour that is specifically directed towards one objective, and that's to secure the advantages that are offered under this package. Is that a problem? I'm not sure. And I'm not sure whether the government would view it as a problem. Looking at all five measures, and I know we will still not go further into detail with the other ones, but I think this cash flow boost, 50% of pay as you go withholding, I think that is the one that will assist small business the most who have employees because the instant asset write-off and the investment incentive are basically just timing concessions that ease your cash flow a little bit Mm. by lowering your tax payments this year but the one that really puts money into the coffers is this cash flow boost yes absolutely and i think that that's why i think it's a really good measure i'm not sure that the way they're going to do it is the best way. Um, It's a little bit complex and a little bit convoluted, this idea of latching on 
to W2 and working it off that, which I think is what they're going to do, incidentally. I'm not actually... I've not seen anything in writing to say that that's how they're going to work it out, but the reading between the lines, that seems the logical way. Um, I just find that a little bit clumsy, perhaps is the best way of putting it, because sometimes there's vagaries about what is in W2 and what isn't. So to give you yet another example, PSI income, personal services income from a company where they fall within the provisions that say you have to treat this as salary, that normally appears at W3. Does that mean that it's not going to count for these purposes? I think the answer is that's exactly what it means. Mm. It doesn't count. But I don't know whether that's the way the government's going to view it. So, again, I'm just not sure that the way that they're structuring the payment, I think the payment is an excellent idea for all the reasons that you articulated, how they're going to calculate it and what they're going to pay it on is a little bit clumsy in my view, but we'll know more on Monday. And you know, I'm happy to talk to you after Monday to tell you what I think of the package once we see the legislation. It's one thing that I would say about all these measures, and it's, I always put this caveat on everything that I say about n- announced measures. It always depends on what's in writing in the legislation and, of course, how it's administered. Um, We've got very little information really about these measures. That's what we're going to get on Monday, and that's when we might be able to have a more, a more, a fuller discussion about what these measures are going to deliver. At the moment, we're working a little bit in the dark, but um, certainly we've got enough information to have this discussion. But we probably haven't got enough information to answer everybody's question. measures we've discussed the, the first one which is the instant asset write-off has now been increased to 150,000 mm. we haven't really spoken so much yet about the investment incentive so yes. we come back to that then we just discussed the cash flow boost that consists of 50 percent of the pay as you go withholding mm. then the fourth measure is the wage subsidy for apprentice and trainees and then the, the payment to Pensioners, could I come to the investment incentive now? Well, yes, you can. You can come to it, but I'm not sure I'm going to be able to give it a lot of clarity because not much has been given away at this stage. But go on, us. So the instant asset write-off applies to assets up to 150,000. So this investment incentive really only comes in for assets over 150,000, correct? I think so. Or this investment incentive is really for bigger companies who don't get the. No, no, the the investment incentive is also also limited to less than 500 million. Okay, so anybody over 500 million goes empty. Well, they do. They Mm. do. That's true. Mm. And that's also been a bit of a criticism because uh, there are some very large companies that are are going to be in huge trouble. Airlines, perhaps, are the best example of them, but travel companies, flight centre, that sort of thing, yeah. you know, their businesses have been decimated overnight with uh, bans that have been introduced. They're getting other packages of relief, particularly the airline companies. The government has already announced a large number that is going to be made available to assist airlines. So that's a different thing. The question that you ask is a good one, and I'm not quite sure what is the exact relationship between the instant asset write-off and the investment incentive. That's something that we're going to have to look out for on Monday. But 
It's I can imagine it would be for larger investments. So the instant asset write-off is just for 150000 That won't yes. cover. Yes. If you buy an asset for $400,000, let's say, then I think you will not be entitled to the instant asset write-off. You will be entitled, subject to any other eligibility requirements that they introduce, you will be entitled to the investment incentive provided the money spent by the 30th of June 2021. So there's a longer time yeah, for Yeah, much that. longer. Much longer. It's 12 months longer. And you will be able to immediately write off 50% of the asset cost. So you'll deduct $200,000 immediately, and the other $200,000 you will get as a depreciation write-off over the ensuing five, seven, eight years, however long is the effective life. Again, to come back to your point, that's giving you some cash flow assistance. The difference is a timing, a matter of timing, significant timing, but still timing. It's not a matter of we give you something today which we're never going to get back. The government will effectively, as you said earlier, get it back because there'll be no, there'll be a reduced depreciation allowance going forward. It's like a loan. It's like a loan. In a way it is. Concession. In, a way it's, in, in a way it's an interest-free loan. Yes, that's right. Then you also gave another difference between the two, and that is the instant asset write-off finishes on the 30th of June. Yes. Probably It will probably go to a lower amount again, and then there is the investment incentive to then cover the, the 12 months after that from yes. 1st of July this year yes. to next. Yeah, look, we're, we're crystal ball-gazing as to what happens to the instant asset write-off on 30 June 2020. I would be surprised if the government, particularly in the environment that we now find ourselves in, just turns it off. I suspect what they might do is they will reduce it. I also suspect they won't reduce it back down to 30, the original 30,000. I think they're probably going to reduce it to maybe like 100,000 and then over time bring it back down because this crisis is unlikely to be resolved by 30 June this year. Um, it would be great if it was, but it's pretty unlikely as things currently stand. So we have to wait and see what will happen with that. But in the instant asset write-off has been around for a number of years now. It was originally intended for one year, then it got extended and then it got extended again. So I would have had every expectation that if this entire COVID-19 crisis had not happened, if only that was the case, um, it's unfortunately it's not, we have to live with reality, but if it had not happened... I would have had every expectation that in the May budget, the government would have announced a further continuation to the instant asset write-off of $30,000. Now, I suspect that it will still happen in May, and they'll probably make an announcement as to what they're going to do with it. My tip is that they're going to reduce it, but not back to $30,000. It'll be interesting to see how those two work together. And my suspicion is they'll just work on the basis that the instant asset write-off applies assets up to $150,000 and beyond that. It's the uh, investment incentive if you qualify. Coming to the fourth initiative, the wage subsidy of apprentices and trainees, yes. I really applaud that because I think yes. the youngest in our workforce, they really need protection. Yeah. And I think when we are older and weathered, yes, we have family obligations, etc. but I think our self-esteem and self-worth can weather a little bit of COVID-19 yeah. if young people find themselves on the street. I think that can have long-term 
repercussions, yes. not just for that individual life, but for us as society. Yes, absolutely. I think it's I think it's a very important initiative. I also like the fact that it's targeting apprentices. Apprentices are often, often tradespeople working in the trades, and we actually have a chronic shortage of people doing that sort of thing. So mm. irrespective of COVID-19, I think it's great if we can assist those young people to try and hone their skills through these apprenticeship and trainee programs. And I think 1.3 billion is going to be money very well spent. And then coming to the fifth initiative, mm. I don't really understand the fifth initiative so much because with every other initiative, I can see that it targets people who are really hurting in terms of business owners, apprentices and trainees, employees, working force. But let's say pensioners, for example. The, the price of food is unlikely to change. They are not working anymore, meaning they don't face the risk of mm. losing their job, etc. So I don't understand why we need a handout to pensioners and well, etc. because I don't see anything in their financial circumstances changing apart from if they have super, of course, the value of their super will go down. But I think yeah. I'm quite confident that is a matter of 12 months that it will recover. So hence, I don't see so much why this group needs a substantial handout. Well, I'd make a few comments about that. The first is that if you look at the class of the full category of people, so it's people, pensioners, social security recipients, Veterans, other income support other income recipients, support which is probably all since Centrelink. Yes, recipients. and eligible concession card holders. They are all people who are unlikely, in the main, to save any of the handout. They are more likely than anyone else to spend it. Ah, oh, okay. Now, that's a generalization, which, and all generalizations are subject to the same criticism. It's not always true. And you will certainly find many pensioners who will try to save some of the $750. But I think the government thinking is that in that class of individual, 90% of what is handed out will be spent almost immediately. And hence we go back into the economy and, we'll and go back it. into the economy, economy and stimulate the economy in that way. Now, perhaps that's being slightly cynical, but I think that is one of the objectives is to get the money back into the economy You know, pensioners might go out and they might buy more more groceries, they might buy more toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> If they can get their hands on it, because it's a bit of a struggle. But, you know, there's all sorts of ways that they can spend that money and they're very unlikely to stick it in the bank and leave it there. And that's what the government doesn't want people to do. By the same token, I think the government is saying, well, these people, they're vulnerable. Certainly they're not about to lose a job because, by and large, they will not have one. Um, so this isn't about protecting jobs, this particular element. This is about getting money protecting into the, the economy. Protecting the weakest in society. And protecting the weakest in, the, in our society, but also getting the money back into the economy to make things happen. Good point. I think that's, I think that's the way I view it And uh, because I, I think you're quite right. It kind of stands out a bit, that last one, because it's quite different to the other four. The other four are all about... You know, how can we keep people in jobs? How can we help employers to keep people in jobs? This one's not really about that at all. This one's about stimulating the economy with a cash push. We may actually see a bit more of that. I suspect that there's going to be a further stimulus package. In fact, I don't know whether this morning anything has been announced. There's a second stimulus package 
I haven't, I haven't had a chance to see any of the detail of that. Yes, neither no, have I. But there's a second package discussed, being discussed, discussed. But it hasn't been announced as yet. So no. my, my suspicion is there'll be more cash handouts as well as some of these other benefits that, have, that we've been discussing today. One other topic, mm-hmm. and that is ATO relief. Can we talk about the initiatives that the ATO has announced? Well, there's a number of initiatives that have been announced by the ATO that are really designed essentially to allow people more time. And it's all about timing. It's not about, with one qualification, it's not about letting people off payments. It's about the timing of payments. So you'll see there's a number of measures, the first of which is to defer by four months the payment of tax amounts due through the business activity statement, income tax assessments, FBT assessments and excise by affected businesses. Now, that's an important measure. It's going to provide some relief. The critical words are by affected businesses. I don't know what that means. I don't know how they're going to assess who is an affected business because in a way, every business is affected. I think, so maybe I think, it just requires a phone call or some application to the ATO saying I'm struggling? I think that's probably right. This is a bit different to the bushfire relief. Yes, where you could say clearly people in this postcode exactly. is affected. You, you could say that you know people in postcode where Tarthra was the centre of it are not going to have to pay their bear statement on the due date because they would be a business affected. Even there, there was some borderline businesses that had to argue. Some lost the argument, some won the argument, but it's far less clear in this instance because, as I said before, in the case of COVID-19, every business is affected to some degree, some beneficially, but a lot of them in a detrimental fashion. So that's going to be the interesting question. And so if you qualify as an affected business, then your best due date for the March quarter, for example, would move from the 28th of April to the 28th of August. Yes, 28th of August. That's quite a generous extension. It is a generous extension, but I think anything less would probably have been viewed as uh, being not particularly helpful. Yeah, why bother? Yeah, so... I guess it could have been three months, but I don't think it was ever going to be any less than that. Then the second one is allowing affected businesses, again, that phrase that is going to cause some issues, on a quarterly reporting cycle to opt into monthly GST reporting to get quicker access to any GST refunds. So in other words, if you're due an amount back, you can switch very quickly back to a monthly to get a refund earlier than would otherwise have been the case. So if you refund was due on a BAS that was lodged in July, you can now, would have been lodged normally in July, you now at the end of March can say, okay, I want to lodge a monthly. Again, you'll, you'll need to speak to your accountant or a tax agent to get that organised. The third one is allowing affected businesses to vary PAYG instalment amounts to zero for the March 2020 quarter. Sorry, what was that again? Allowing affected businesses to vary their PAYG instalment amounts ah, to okay. zero. So PAYGI to zero. Yes, PAYGI to zero. Businesses that vary their PAYGI to zero can also claim a refund for any instalments made for the September 
19 and December 19 quarters. That's also very generous because that means you actually get cash back, although it's only it's temporary. Timing. Yes, it yes. still means. Yes, it's going to be a cash flow benefit that will, because presumably you'll then have to pay that down the track. Yes, of course, because then when you launch your tax, uh, returns. tax returns, of course, then you have the, the bad awakening because you won't yes. have any installments. And, and I think that the reason that's being done is that there's there would be a reasonable expectation within the tax office that by the time they get to the end of the year, a lot of these affected businesses, as they're called, may not have... The cash to pay no, them. No, they may not have a liability because it... May yes, have, because they are, the their businesses have gone broke away, have, have collapsed. So they get the money back earlier than they would otherwise. Mm. Otherwise, they would have had to wait till the end of the year, lodge their tax return, and then claim their refund, which would have been probably October at the earliest, more likely November, December. Mm. And by that stage, they might no longer be alive. Exactly. Hence, this way getting the tax back yes, now might yes. save. Yes. Now, the, the real concern, but I guess this is. A more minor concern right now is that the tax office gives them the money back. Their businesses don't don't detrimentally fall apart, and then at the end of the cycle, they have to pay up the whole amount again. They may have spent it, but that's the responsibility of a taxpayer to ensure that that doesn't happen. But I can also imagine that the um, ATO will be generous with extension, etc., when the Bad awakening comes around, and then these high. Yes, yes. I think the ATO is going to have to take a fairly benevolent approach this year, not only because of COVID nineteen, but the bushfires of last and year. And the flooding. I mean, it's been and the flooding. Yes, I forgot the flooding, but you know it's been a disaster of a half year so far, or three quarters of a year. I suspect that the ATO's approach is going to have to be softly, softly on a lot of these issues. That was the third one. The I'll just skip to the fifth bullet point, allowing affected businesses to enter into low interest payment plans for their existing and ongoing tax liabilities. If you are in trouble meeting your tax liabilities, the best idea always is to go directly to the tax office through your agent, but go directly to the tax office, talk to them, get a plan put in place. Because again, particularly because of the circumstances we find ourselves in, the tax office is likely to be quite accommodative, particularly if your history has been good. Obviously, if you're a, a recurring tax defaulter, they'll take a different view. But if you've got a good, strong history in tax of payments on time, I'm quite sure, I say this with tremendous confidence, that they will take a fairly benign view and find a way to assist you to have a a low interest way of repaying those tax liabilities. Yes. And when you mentioned the interest, the GIC, the general interest charge at face is quite high. It's yes. a lot higher than the normal bank charge. But the ATO is quite forgiving when you explain why payments yes. were late. Absolutely. And COVID-19 definitely would be a very good explanation. And I find the ATO very forgiving with general interest charges yeah. when you have a yes. clear explanation why all this happened. Yeah, but I think there is a plan in place to offer less than the GIC, but that hasn't happened as yet. Oh, okay. But I'm, I believe that there's some view to 
to finding some lower rate of interest or maybe yes. just lowering the GIC yeah. going forward. I think that would be good as well because yeah. at the moment the GIC includes a penalty component. It certainly does. And so it would be fair to yes. remove that penalty. Yes. The last one that I'll just mention is remitting any interest or penalties incurred by affected businesses on or after 23 January 2020 that have been applied to tax liabilities. That's actually, I said earlier that most of these are not about giving away anything, they're just about timing. That's actually giving away some money. So the remittance of GIC is already one of the ATO measures listed. That's what they're saying. For affected businesses, when it's been incurred on or after 23 January 2020. So that's obviously the date that they consider COVID-19 to have really started. It was in January. I think we had our first case in Australia sometime in late January. I think that's right. So it's a reasonably generous package. Now, one thing that I would add to all this, which is troubling a lot of agents, is that there is a move to shift. Well, not a move. It's happening. Key is being switched off and we're going to MyGov ID. And that happens hard date the 27th of March. I just want to reiterate to your listeners that that is a hard date. It is not being extended. Now, I'm not sure that anything has happened with that since COVID-19 has started, but my understanding from just last week, from no less than the Commissioner of Taxation himself, is that the date is non-negotiable and that will happen. Now, tax agents have to be ready for that. A lot of them aren't. Oh, really? Yes. I, I would have thought that pretty much everybody has moved over to government. My, un now. my understanding is that there are a... A lot of hardcore. A lot of hardcore agents who perhaps haven't been operating on a timelier basis as they should be and they haven't got their act together and gone across. Now, they'll be able to do it after the 27th of March. They're not saying you can't do it after that, but their lives will be hell, their professional lives, because they won't be able to gain any access to taxpayer information. Now, they need to understand that. They need to move as expeditiously as possible. They also need, if they are having problems, to contact the tax office to advise them of their situation and that they may be late in some of their lodgements. There's also a move to have a general extension to lodgement dates, not just for affected businesses, but for everybody. And that's something that I've talked to the ATO about. I know others have as well. There is some discussion going on at the moment about that because Tax agents are affected by COVID-19 as much as anybody, perhaps less than some, but, you know, they're just part of the general population. They are having staffing issues. They are having problems with telling people not to come to work, all the same issues. I don't think it's fair to say you've got to demonstrate that you've been affected. I think there just has to be a general understanding that this is an extraordinary situation We need to help the agents to get a satisfactory outcome. They need to have more time. Irrespective of the MyGov ID issue, I'm not referring to that. I'm not suggesting that that date should be extended. But what I am suggesting is that in the interests of keeping the tax agent community viable, 
the dates that are required, and I'm talking about all, all the dates, tax dates should be deferred. I'm not suggesting for months and months and months, but for at least a month to give everybody a bit more time to get their act together and deal with problems with uh, precipitated by COVID-19. A month is probably not long enough, but at least that would be a good start. Do you think it will soften the blow, this stimulus package? It's not going to save everyone. Mm. I mean, businesses are going to go under, big and small. There's just no avoiding it. Welcome back. So just to recap, the instant asset write-off is $150,000 until the 30th of June this year. Then there's the investment incentive uncapped until the 30th of June next year, so 2021, giving you a 50% depreciation in the first year. And let me just quickly check that the asset is really uncapped. Yes, there is no asset value threshold. Both measures are for businesses with a turnover of less than 500 million. And both measures only help you if you still have cash to spend on investments. If you're struggling to make payroll, then these measures are irrelevant to you. Then there's the 25,000 tax-free cash boost that will reimburse 50% of any pays you go withholding. You did in the March or June end slash or June quarter. This will help you if cash flow is tight. And if you employ apprentices and trainees, you will receive a 50% wage subsidy of these wages until the 30th of September this year of up to 21,000 per apprentice. Centrelink recipients, pensioners, veterans, etc. are to receive a cash payment of $750 and there is another $1 billion for areas particularly affected by COVID-19. So these are federal government measures. Then there are also, of course, state government measures, New South Wales, Queensland, Western Australia, Victoria, etc., have all announced state COVID-19 stimulus packages, but they vary and we will cover another time. In addition to these stimulus packages, there are also five ATO measures to help you weather this storm. And just to recap, the first one is that the due date for paying your best, your payers, you go installments, your income tax assessment and FPT as well as excise. The payment due date for these has been deferred by four months. Number two, if you expect a GST refund, you can swap to monthly best to get this refund much quicker into your pockets. Number three, you can vary your pay-as-you-go installments to zero for this March quarter and you can request a refund of the last two installments you paid for the September and December quarters last year. Number four, the ATO will remit any interest and penalties incurred after 23rd of January this year and number five, you can enter into a low interest payment plan for existing tax liabilities. All this will come your way if you qualify as an affected business. What that means will hopefully become clearer with time. So these were the measures of the federal COVID-19 stimulus package as well as the ATO measures. We will post another out-of-schedule episode next week when the uh, details of the stimulus package are on the table because it all depends on the details in the end. So the real episode 235 next Monday 
in that episode, Bob Deutsch will talk about property and tax. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to Class for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.